0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Would you stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 27. And before I read it, let me just encourage you that we are going to have the words of the scripture on the screen. But for most of you, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles to worship. I know it's in the bulletin, but that is not to be a replacement for having your Bible. I would encourage you to bring it and to get used to having your your Bible open in your lap and even taking notes in it if you would like to do that as we study God's Word every week. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 to 27. Paul writes Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship of the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen that God is concerned. Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will I will have a reward. But if not of my own will I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. When you disentangle yourself from your entitlements, you are set free. I remember walking to class one day in college by the Memorial Student Center on the campus of Texas A&M, and there were a group of students that were there. They were protesting, and they were saying, in the protest, with their signs, my body, my choice, my body, my right, my body, my choice, my body, my right. And that cadence echoed throughout the larger part of the afternoon together as the Texas Legislature was considering a referendum to limit abortion rights in the state of Texas 25 years ago. And I remember thinking as I walked to class and I heard this refrain throughout the afternoon. I mean, what incredible stamina they had to say it again and again and again for hours. What exactly is a right? A right, according to Webster, is a moral or legal entitlement to have or obtain something or to act in a certain way. Today, we hear about rights all the time. We hear about constitutional rights. We hear about human rights. We hear about civil rights. What comes to your mind when I say the phrase, what are your rights? Often as Americans, we equate rights with laws. And if you don't have any other moral teaching in your life, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you never go to church, if you just just live life, then you will by default be discipled by the world to believe that your right is equivalent to what the law allows you to do. And it's what the political powers that be have determined is your right. And if you're, if you're a, a faithful disciple of the world, if you don't have any other counter uh, challenge to, uh, to moral foundations, you will begin to believe just by default that political law largely determines your moral entitlements or boundaries. Does make sense? And it is not a far step from that point to say, therefore, as a creed that you believe, what is politically correct becomes morally correct. And the word rights easily becomes an unsuspecting theologically, a theological creed that you deeply inhale and that you believe at a very foundational level. So the Bill of Rights, for example replaces your moral foundation and pushes the Ten Commandments aside. We have all kinds of rights that we believe, especially in our context. Our rights often determine our moral sensibilities. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 is a famous passage, probably the most famous in all of Scripture, where it talks about our rights. And Paul had just said last week that it is love, not knowledge, that leads you to deny your rights, even if you have the ability to do it, for the sake of what he calls a weaker brother. In chapter 8, it was an issue of people whose conscience was concerned about eating food that was offered to idols. And Paul says, listen, it's just food. It's, it's like, don't get weird about it. But people who had grown up part of that ritual and convicted that they should not participate in that anymore. Paul says to the strong Christian, okay, don't eat the food for the sake of the conscience of the weaker brother. And in chapter 9, he shows them that he has in fact practiced that very principle. And he shows them in verses 9, 1 to 12, he speaks about his entitlements in 12 to 18, his disentanglements, and from 19 through 27, his retitlements. Okay? So, we're going to look at those three things. Entitlement, disentanglement, and retitlement in light of John uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So, first, entitlement. The Corinthian church had misinterpreted Paul's behavior. Paul didn't take a salary from the church. He took a salary from the Ephesian church. He didn't take a salary from the Corinthian church. And they were like, hmm, most apostles do that. Paul must not be an apostle. Many apostles would bring on, like Peter. Peter was married we don't have any record that Paul was married and they would bring on their their wives and so it would be very customary for the church plant to provide for the apostle and for their their family when they were visiting them. It was was customary and Paul says, do I not have the right to bring a a believing wife along with me? Of course, he wasn't married as a hypothetical question. Do I not have a right to, to receive the material support from you? I mean, is is are you questioning my apostleship? I mean, you are the seal of my apostleship. I don't need to, like I don't need to be paid by you. You are the seal of the truth of my apostleship because look at your changed lives. Paul says, and Paul says I am entitled to all of these things. They are the right that I have as an apostle, and and yet. Paul says, I am not using these rights because I don't want these rights to become a stumbling block for you. Lest you think I'm only encouraging you because I'm being cared for by you. Lest you think I, I'm only encouraging you because of, of, of me being able to, to, to exist because of your, your generosity toward me. I, I give up those rights. I'll tip make so that nothing comes in the way of you hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he begins in this passage, he asks 16 questions in the first 12 verses. If you, if you write in your Bibles, just you might circle every one of those question marks in the first 12 verses. He's just saying, like, "Do I not have rights?" Of course I do. But love, not knowledge, leads. And so Paul amidst all of these verses, says, "Does a soldier not have a right?" Does a, a vineyard grower? not have a right to enjoy the fruit of his labor? Does a slave or does a shepherd not have a right to enjoy part of his produce? What, what Paul is saying is that listen, whether you're a, a middle, middle class you know, a soldier or whether you're an upper class vineyard owner or whether you're a, you're a, a lower economic class slave that shepherds sheep, whatever it is, we all, we all get to enjoy the rights and the privileges of, of our labor. And is it, is it not also the same with me as an apostle? And then he quotes Moses, and he says, you know, don't muzzle the ox while it threshes the grain. And so, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, we have rights. I have rights. These are things that I'm entitled to as an apostle, but I gladly give them up for the sake of the gospel of Christ, so that you would not be distracted by the beauty of the gospel of grace. Quit bickering about who is an apostle among you. Back to chapter 1. And receive the good news. Because Paul says, when you disentangle yourself from your entitlements, you are set free. Keep that in mind. As you move to the next section of the passage, which talks about Paul's disentanglements. Certainly Paul had right to use these rights, but he chose not to. Respect, hospitality, financial support by the Corinthians. He doesn't assert his Christian liberty to the detriment of his believers, of his of his of his uh, uh, church. He 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 goes out of his way to say, "What in my life might potentially stand in the way of you hearing the gospel? Get it out, get it out." And so, let's just drill home for just a second. Where have your rights? Hindered your love. Where have your entitlements crippled your joy? Hey, that's what Paul asks in Galatians chapter 4. What has happened to all your joy, Trinity? Where has your assertion of what you have, whether as an American or as a Christian, or whatever you you want to use to define your life. Where has that right robbed you of the joy that he wants you to have in him? Listen, we may not be openly challenged like Paul was about our authority in the church or our relationship with other people, but there is a fight nevertheless, and it is real. Like, I mentioned the discipleship program of the world earlier. You know, like, you do know that you are either being discipled toward the gospel or you're being discipled toward the ways of the world. There's no, there's no other way to approach it. I mean, some of you, for, for example, are, are forced to go through equality training at work right now, aren't you? And is there anything wrong with going through equality training, per se? Of course not. We're all for equality, I mean, racism is sin. Homophobia is sin. But here's the question. Who defines the boundaries of that equality? Where do the limits of equality end? With a species called humanity? The biblical term for equality is dignity. And it. presupposes that one has dignified the creature. But that is an impossible term to use in an environment where you're being discipled in equality because as soon as you define equality, you risk your employment. And you think, I'm kidding, but some of you have told me that if you talk about the limits of equality as a notion, as a theological worldview, then you're Employment is threatened and so Christians are just kind of hush-hush about it at work. Well, we gotta just kind of play the game. But don't you recognize this that this, this this worldview that is is just competing for your affections all the time? And if you just listen, oh gosh guys, you will be so much more versed in language that is antithetical to the gospel. Again, nothing wrong with equality, but you have to allow the bounds of God's equality to define what truly is dignified. And therefore how we as Christians should operate in the midst of the world. We have replaced the role of shepherds and pastors with the role of politicians and presidents. Especially in the last four years. The world's catechism teaches us to place the highest authority in our lives in yourself, in your community, or in the civil law. Rather than in God's word by his spirit. And we've replaced the doctrine of scripture with the law of the land. And we have replaced grace with a kind of blasé social acceptance. Where we catechize our children by the high priest of the talking heads of our favorite news outlets. Rather than by the mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers that Joanne just encouraged us. That's right here to encourage our children. And guys, we have to recognize that the truth of the gospel is an upside-down kingdom. And Paul, who had every right as an apostle, laid down his rights. He disentangled himself from his rights in order that he might live in the joy of the gospel without any hindrance. So here's a question. What rights stand in the way Whether it's a political right or a moral, whatever it is, however you want to define your rights, stands in the way of you giving everything you are to King Jesus. What has happened to all your joy? Could it be that there's a better way? Could it be, Trinity? That it's actually by not asserting our rights but laying them down for each other that we demonstrate the law of love toward one another in an incredibly beautiful way. Just as Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There's a story of a little girl I heard this week um, whose dad... uh, whose mother ironed his uh, her father's shirts all the time for work he you know this is the this is the uh, he had a job where he had to wear a white shirt almost every day to work and so and so this little girl just wanted she just she wanted to be able to please her dad and so she went out with her brothers and and um they took the, the laundered shirts and they were going to hang them up on the clothesline a clothesline, kids, is a thing in your backyard that used to have uh, clothespins. That's where you got the term clothes pin And you hang your clothes up, and it dries in the sun. You think it's funny. Now, like, all the millennials and the Gen Zs are like, "Oh, this is back in style. We're going to do this out in our backyard. So they, they hung it on the clothesline, right? Right? The clothesline. So it's all the the, the, gens, the Gen Xers like me that don't know what a clothesline is because, the you know, it's coming back. So it's a clothesline. And so they hung this stuff up on the clothesline. And the little girl. Wanted to be like her big brothers and wanted to be like her mom and help her dad. And so she took his white shirt and she couldn't reach the clothesline. She couldn't, so she put it on a wheelbarrow. And she just let her, her, her daddy's shirt dry in the sun on the wheelbarrow. And her father came in the house that evening and took down his shirts and he saw the shirt on the wheelbarrow and it had gotten rusty all over it, had ruined his shirt. And he went berserk. He was so angry that his white shirt had been ruined with rust. And it crippled her relationship with men. And years later... She's, talk, she's telling the story, and she's, she's talking about how the day the, her father got so mad at her for when she tried to help him, and it was rusty, and, and he, she ruined his shirt, and, and how that's affected her relationships, and even her relationship with God. And the counselor said, what do you think Jesus would have done with that shirt? She said, I, I don't know. And the counselor said, Jesus would have put that shirt on. And he would have worn it. Because the truth is that your Savior, no matter how much you try, he wears the rust of your sin. He puts it on. He wears it with joy and pride. And you think he's angry with you? You, you think that you have to live by your rights as though somehow to, to stay in God's good graces, like laying down your rights, potentially being misunderstood like Paul was misunderstood. I mean, Paul's behavior changed with whoever he was with. To the Jews, he became a Jew. To the Gentiles, he became a Gentile, that he might win them. And he's being judged by these Corinthians like, God, you're inconsistent. You're not steady. You must not have a moral foundation. And Paul's like, no! I have my Father's delight. He wears the rusty shirt for me. And Jesus wears your rusty shirt. He wears your sin. And he makes... It white as snow because he gives you a righteousness that is not your own in exchange for the rust of your life. And he is not angry with you. And Paul in this text wants you to know that when you get beyond your rights and you begin to think with a gospel worldview as a Christian, if you indeed are one, that you can... Be free by being disentangled from your rights as being the chief marker by which you identify yourself. Be set free. Because Jesus himself was the one who comes to you in the midst of you feeling entitled. And it is so subtle. I mean, it is so subtle, isn't it? Like how easy it is for us as Christians to be able to say, you know what, I think I need this. I'm entitled to that. Fill in the blank. And pretty soon you become self-absorbed with all of your senses of entitlement. And what has happened to all your joy? And this passage is begging you to see that unless you become disentangled from your entitlements, you will not be set free, friends. Joy is found in the security we have in Christ as his sons and daughters. And that's why you need to look at verses 18 through 27. Our retitlements. When you disentangle yourself from your entitlements, you are set free. You know, um, uh, this week at, at Bible study on Tuesday morning, John John Nadig, we were talking, and, and it reminded me of of, of, um, of the way that Satan works in, in my own life, at least. And, you know, there are two kinds of... Of, uh, of martial arts, there's there's like aggressive uh, martial arts where you know you're directly um, some of you are black belts in this room, you know, like you're directly attacking the other person, like kung fu for example, right? I mean, kung, um, and then there's another kind of martial art where you're just using the potential energy of the person and the momentum to pin them down. That's judo, right? The gentle way, and and so. Satan loves to take suburban people like you and like me and use judo, not kung fu. You're like expecting kung fu. You don't see the direct attacks. It's because he's taken the good things in your life and he's made them ultimate things for you. And he has pinned you down by your senses of entitlement. And you wonder, why am I not more joyful? It's because you're weighed down by what Satan has just taken your own momentum of the flesh and he has pinned you. And isn't it interesting that we become infatuated with our own comfort. And and who, who's the um, who's the Lord of the Rings character that best exemplifies this, this infatuation? Gollum. Gollum, yeah. That Gollum. Smeagol, right? Smeagol. Who who has this ring and it becomes beautiful? And then he covets it, and then he can't let go of it. And then it becomes his precious. And he, you know, and, and Smeagol becomes Gollum. And, and Gollum is fighting like crazy to, to hang on to this ring. And some of you in this room, and I'm not picking on you, I'm in the same boat. Are, we are clinging to our preciouses. And it is killing us. When Jesus rolls into Jerusalem that day, that first Palm Sunday, he rolls in not on a war horse, he rolls in on a beast of burden, a donkey. Humble. And it's interesting that Jesus is on the donkey, but who is bearing the greater burden? Your Savior is bearing the greater burden infinitely more than that donkey ever could because Jesus is bearing the weight of your rust and your sin upon himself. And Jesus is not angry at you. Hosanna! Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus knew that within one week, those same mouths would be saying, Give us Barabbas! Crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus knows your heart. And he wants to take you and he wants to disentangle you from your fierce sense of entitlement and your rights. And he wants to say, look at the people around you in this room and in your community group and those of you who are watching from home. Like he wants you to say, lay your life down for these, your brothers and sisters. Don't expect joy to come in defending your rights. Your joy comes in looking to the one who entered Jerusalem by giving up his right to enter in on the war horse of the victory of God became on the humble beast of burden, even a donkey. Jesus is the one that allows you to take joy because Jesus took upon you. himself, all of your self-centered infatuations and he was the rightful heir of the son of God who gave up his right in order to share that right with you so that on the cross Jesus proclaims not my rights, I don't walk in knowledge, I walk in love and my love compels me to yield my life, even my life perfect and spotless for sinners like you and like me And that should humble us to the dust. So friends, your retitlement as Christians means that you don't see yourself, first of all, as a citizen of a country. You don't see yourself, first of all, as a particular uh, profession. You don't see yourself as a social relationship to your family. You see yourself primarily as a Christian who is there because your Savior gave up his rights so that you might have the greatest right that there ever has been given, and that is the right to be called a son and a daughter of God. I've, seen a lot of, I've heard a lot of governors throughout history who have pardoned criminals from uh, death row. Haven't you? I have yet to meet a governor who has invited that criminal to become their child. And yet that's what's offered to you in the gospel. And you're caught up with your rights. <laughs> I mean, if we really knew what we've been given, how much it would change our life. And so in just a minute, when you come to this table, you come with the joy of your Savior, knowing that he walked into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, knowing that out of your mouth will come one thing, and in your heart might be another, but now is the opportunity you have to confess him yet again as Lord. And if there's entitlement, if affluenza has become the pandemic of your heart, Please walk in repentance and self-awareness about that. What a gift he offers to us. So entangled were the religious leaders of the day by their rights as the sons of Abraham that they freed Barabbas. And they put to death the Son of God, their Savior. And Jesus, in going to the cross, took upon himself your entanglement. And Jesus denied himself his rights as the righteous son of God so that you might be set free and Jesus is the one who says my body the church my rights as a son or a daughter of God so as you come this morning to the table you come to his body As those who have been given his rights to approach him as those who are beloved and cherished by him. Do you know that truth? If you do not, today you can. Because when you are disentangled from your entitlements, you are set free by your Savior. Who humbled himself as he came into Jerusalem and prepared for the week of his death. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us not to run aimlessly, not to wear ourselves out beating the air, but to discipline our bodies and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, we ourselves should not be disqualified. Help us, Father, to not define ourselves by our rights. Help us, Lord, to be defined by the rights you have given to us. And our love, which demonstrates great self-sacrifice. So, Father, nourish us as we come to your table, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.